Welcome, everyone, to the Jake Dunlap Show. This is your weekly dose of real success stories from entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, CEOs, and the people that you love. If you've ever wondered what makes people tick, what are the weird things that happened to them in their past that helped to shape the people that they've became? Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern, you can tune in and get exactly that. The behind, behind the scenes, not the typical behind the scenes, but the real stories that shape some of the people that you know, love, and follow. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, Today's guest... All right. This guy's been hustling since he was eight. Right, He was growing vegetables in his backyard, going door-to-door, selling them to his neighbors. In high school, this guy was ahead of the game where he posted an ad for an old history textbook and then managed to sell it for $50 within two days and then took that business to college and started nathansbooks.com to develop a new passion for e-commerce as well. Afterwards, he went into family business. His family has been in the textile business it was funny. We were trying. We were talking about it before, and he was like, "It's my great grandfather or great great." He's like, "I don't know." I'm like, "However many 175 years of of, of great grand or great greats there are," and now is the CEO of Boardroom Socks, uh, which manufactures high quality men's dress socks, knit in North Carolina. Shout out to North Carolina. He's also was on the Bass team in college, so we're going to have to get into that too. Uh, but everyone, please <laughs> please join me in welcoming. Mr. Nathan James. Nathan, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity, Jake. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's skip the the bass questions because that that career fizzled out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, the Elon bass fishing team. I love it, man. Yeah, so you're gonna have to give yeah, me some. That was a lot of fun. Some tips and tricks there. So yeah, just like every episode, we kind of go back to the beginning. Um, just talk a little bit about some kind of you know memories you have growing up. Obviously, you know your family was you know were business owners, right? They were running their thing, um, so you had that kind of influence. You obviously were kind of coming up with side hustles, etc. What were some what were some big lessons or memories you have you know early on and growing up from your parents or you know things that really stuck with you uh, around you know business entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I think I was really fortunate and how my parents raised my brother and I and that they they were both entrepreneurs and they were very willing to let us kind of run with ideas and uh for example you mentioned the uh the growing tomatoes in the backyard and selling those to the neighbors well sometimes I was picking my mom's tomatoes and selling (laughs) my mom's tomatoes to the neighbors and whatnot and uh you know another business I had was um in front of my dad's warehouse, I opened up a little store and I would advertise it in the newspaper and put signs up on the road. And I'd be selling all kinds of trinkets and stuff that I didn't even know what it was, all kinds of different things, whatever I could get my hands on and, and try to sell, um, I would sell in there. And sometimes it was stuff out of our house too. I'd, I'd take <laughs> extra furniture out of the attic and stuff. So my parents were always very accommodating and um, I, I think that's one of the big things is just that they gave me a pretty long leash to try to figure out things and, and get knowledge and experience on my own and, and learn the hard way sometimes. Um, and then I was also very fortunate with my my textbook business, as you mentioned, that they uh, 
once I, I started running out of money, I was buying as many books as I could get my hands on. My dad, I had to sit him down and kind of walk him through my business plan and, and what I had in mind. And I was able to convince him to lend me some money, which helped me get the business going. But, you know, it's it's almost like in, in terms of just takeaways and kind of early things that, that you learn, um, I, I think it, it goes back to to what you and I were talking about earlier, I think before we hit record there, that there, there's no shortcut and there's no, there's no easy button or, or hack or anything. It was just grit and determination. And I think that's something I've always picked up from my family is, um, you know, my dad is, I think my dad's about to turn 72 this year, still works probably seven days a week and owns a few different companies and, and just is a really hard worker and a grinder. And that's just how I've always been raised. And I think that's, that's the big thing that I learned growing up and, and early in my own kind of entrepreneurial pr- pursuits is there's, there's really no easy way or, or shortcut. You've just got to sit down and, and grind and apply yourself and, and do the best you can and, and be very persistent and work really hard. And it, you know, it's not, it's not the sexy kind of headline, but that that's no, it's just grit and determination. Yeah. It's like we were talking before I said, you know, look, if there was a cheat button, like nobody would tell you to work hard. They would say, yeah, just do this other thing. But unfortunately, right. there are times, <laughs> you know, whenever, whenever like that, the answer is that or perseverance or focus. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, you know, you make the move to go to Elon. So go to college at Elon. And, and what I, what I think is cool is like, you know, you're one of the, the, the few people, you know, with a professional sales concentration, you know, for your degree. And so, you know, what was it about, you know, that, that major, you know, marketing and finance, but, you know, kind of focused on sales. What was it that kind of drew you to that? Which is, you know, again, most people, you know, they, they majored in philosophy and now they're, you know, a business owner and, you know, it's, it's not as applicable where you, you know, kind of went the more practical route. Yeah, I, I think that it was really interesting. And I, I think a lot of what rubbed off on me was when I was at Elon, the different professors that were involved with that program. And it's funny, I, I had a marketing professor who was outstanding. I, I had him for three different classes. And I remember he gave us a, kind of a talk one day about how, what his background and what qualified him to be up in front of the room teaching us. And the way he always explained it was there are two kinds of professors. There is AQ, academically qualified, and then there is PQ, professionally qualified. And um, he said, I'm PQ. I was in business. I've been in business my whole career. I've been in sales. And uh, you know, I'm not going to stand up here and teach you out of a textbook. I'm going to give you real life examples and, and teach you for the real world. And um, a lot of the knowledge and information that he shared just all around sales and marketing and it was just so applicable and hands-on and real world that right. uh, I, I think it really opened up my eyes to, it doesn't really matter what job you're doing. It, at some point, you're always selling. You're selling something. You're selling yourself. Everything kind of comes back to sales at some point at the most sure. fundamental level. And I, I think it was just an awesome program at Elon and that there were a lot of real world professional salespeople that that weren't, you know, PhDs necessarily that had learned the textbook. They had been out and had a very successful career and retired and just started to teach and, and do sales 
teaching because they they wanted to and they were really good at it and passionate about it and uh that's definitely what drew me to the program and i'm glad i glad i did that yeah i mean i think it's an interesting one i feel like i've had you know guy kawasaki other folks on the show and you know he was just you know the thing that he said he said about he's like you know everybody should you know do sales at some extent you know to some extent you know to be a you know successful entrepreneur etc like just having that you know that gear or learning you know more and more about it uh, i think is just such a critical piece it's just another one of those things that it's just really difficult especially early on to outsource that we see companies try to do it all the time and then they're like well you know she or he didn't figure it out it's like well because you just threw him to the wolves and you know there's a process and other things and Another cool fact about you, you got a chance to study abroad in Cuba uh, and like in the islands. Um, what took you to Cuba? Yeah, that was that was interesting. That was a pretty eye-opening experience. Um, that was my first time going out of the country to a kind of third world country. And um, it was interesting. The, the program was partially in Cuba and then partially in the Cayman Islands. And that's about as polar opposite as, as you can get socioeconomically. And um, it's just pretty eye-opening, the the difference between those two. And um, a lot of the course was about, you know, how does government's involvement in business and different regulations and the political landscape impact business? And uh, yeah, it was really interesting. It was very eye-opening. And uh, Caymans were beautiful. Cuba was beautiful. Um, but not, not quite sure I'd go back to Cuba, but <laughs> yeah. it was an interesting yeah. experience and it, you know, coming back from a trip like that really, uh, really opens your eyes and, and makes you realize how much you have to be thankful for in this country and how great of a life, you know, we're fortunate enough to live. Yeah. It's, it's a good, I mean, especially for you, you know, um, you've kind of grown up and, you know, been around like a you know, similar area, you know, around North Carolina for go to school in North Carolina. So I could imagine it's pretty uh, impactful. It's like for me, I grew up in the Midwest and in, in Missouri. And uh, I remember when I graduated college, I went to Florida <laughs> to got a chance to like interact with all kinds of different people. And I'm like, whoa, like these people are different. Like this is, <laughs> this is not, this, yeah, but, but, but okay. So you mentioned it briefly here. So you were the vice president of the bass fishing team, though. And this is fascinating to me. So, so the bass fishing team. So to, to, for, those of the, for those people who don't know, tell a little bit about like what goes into a fishing competition. I've seen it on TV. Maybe some people have seen it on TV. Because your big finish was the ninth place finish at Lake Guntersville, Alabama. Right? That was, the, that was one of them. I told you we we're going to go back in time. See, I told you, Nathan, that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna pull out all the stops here. So, what goes into a bass fishing tournament? Yeah, that, that's a great question, um, and I, I didn't really know that this was a thing. I mean, I've always been into fishing; it's something my family and I've done for for a long time, ever since I was a little kid. But yeah, so the way a fishing tournament works is you can keep five fish in the live well of the boat. And so, at any given time, it's your five biggest fish, and then at the end of the tournament you weigh your five biggest fish. Hopefully you caught five fish, not every time you catch five fish <laughs> and you weigh your five biggest fish and then okay. uh, everybody else weighs them. And the, the winner is, is the heaviest weight. So 
yeah, it's kind of kind of an interesting. It's not that complex. No, it's not. It's not that complex, but uh, it, it sounds easy. But sometimes you get out there uh, like that. That tournament actually in, in Lake Gunnersville, I remember that was the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. You think Alabama, you know, not cold, anything like that. It's it's warm down in the deep south. Well, it was in February. It was like the air temperature must have been uh, just below freezing because it was snowing. And a bass boat does not have a windshield. So you're sitting there in an open hole bass boat going 60 to 70 miles an hour in the snow. And yeah, it's like driving in a convertible in the snow without a windshield. I mean, it just, that's the coldest I've ever been. Wow. All <laughs> but right. we did well. Uh, we came at night. So that was great. So, all right. So, so that, that was your, and you decided to not per, uh, pursue a, a career as a, uh, on the Bass Masters tour, you know, and then obviously, again, you've done some digital at this point, you know, you're running your own, you know, kind of running a business as well, too, on the textbook side, I guess, like, what kind of led you to, I guess, you know, did you always know that you would kind of work in the family business? Or did you, you know, have maybe like another thought in mind? Because I know you didn't start the company till a little bit later. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's almost like boardroom socks was the just the perfect culmination of a lot of my interests uh you know you you highlighted the the multiple generations in in textiles that's been in my family my my dad uh he's been in textiles now for gosh close to 50 years probably um and then his dad and my grandfather just everybody in our family has been in textiles for so long and that definitely played an element in it um, and also just my interest in entrepreneurship and, and working for myself. And then the the third element that drew me into it was the digital marketing component. And um, so I think boardroom socks was just kind of like the perfect storm of those right. three things, like the, the, the family history, entrepreneurship and digital marketing. And it just kind of all culminated in boardroom socks. Um, and it, it just perfectly aligned everything that I was interested in and, and wanted to pursue and has really turned out to be a, a dream come true. How, yeah. And how did, I mean, how do you land on socks though, right? Out of all the things, you know, what was it that was like, so- I'm going to be the socks guy, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy to, to do, to do it. I mean, look, there's a million, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there, but sure. and if you go to the web, they'll obviously link to the website. Whenever I was looking before, I'm like, I didn't even know that these, there were this many options for socks. Like I didn't know that there are all the different types of over the calf and mid calf, et cetera, uh, types of socks. So, um, you know, how is it that you got into that world in particular? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So it, it all goes back to, uh, I, I got to give the credit to my dad on that one. Um, because initially I, I thought he and my mom were kind of nuts when they, they first came up with this idea. So, my dad had worn for years and years a just a classic black merino wool over the cap dress sock. And he always got them locally made and, and just being plugged into the textile community. He always knew the people that made them and, and where they came from and whatnot. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, when a lot of textile manufacturing started going offshore and right. mills were closing here in North Carolina, my dad just kind of was thinking one day, he was like, well, you know what? I, I know how these socks are made. I know where to get the materials to make them. I know 
pretty much everything about him. Why don't I just make my own? And it started as, is really a hobby more than anything else. He started making the socks for, for his personal use. And then some of his friends started asking about them and then it just kind of snowballed and grew organically. And, um, like I said, I, I thought he was nuts when he first came up with this. I just, I didn't see a product market fit. I, I just, I didn't understand it. Sure. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few years and, and my, my parents had started it out of the, the attic of their house. And I remember when I was leaving my kind of corporate day job to jump into this full time and I'd always been working in it, um, on nights and weekends and everything for several years. Um, but when I left my, my day job to start working at Boardroom Socks full time and to, and to really run the company, I remember one of the first things I did was to move everything, move the business out of their house and into a warehouse. And uh, I had to count all the socks that were in their house. And I rented a, a big box truck and everything. And it was over 15,000 pairs of socks that they had in their house. You, I mean, everywhere. It doesn't like any bedroom, the dining room. I mean, the socks were just everywhere. And um, it, it, that was pretty humbling. I, you know, just thinking back to, to how I kind of used to argue with them when they were, were first thinking up this, this idea for the business. And I just didn't see the product market fit. And then it certainly has, has proven itself. Um, that was pretty humbling to move all those boxes. But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey. That's for sure. That's funny because you're still their son, right? You know, like you still like, right. look, yeah. you know, yeah, you might be running the thing, but like, son, go pick the box up, you know, go, go, go move 15, 15,000 socks. So what were some of like the early, like, what are some early lessons, you know, from the first few years that you remember with the business, you know, so that your parents kind of get this thing moving, you come in to kind of, you know, take it to the next step. Obviously, like you said, you've got this digital marketing experience as well, too. Like, what are some early memories you have around like starting to scale, uh, you know, scale in like the early, you know, free, first few years? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I, I, I think we've been doing a lot of introspection on that. And I, I know you and I mentioned this a little bit and we're chatting about this a little bit before we started recording. But I think a lot of it is just really focusing on figuring out the basics and the fundamentals. And I, I mentioned the product market fit. And I, I think once we understood the product and the customer and how all of that fit together and who our customer was and how they used the product. And, you know, it sounds really elementary and basic and, you know, the, the customer wears the sock, but it's, you know, do you really know who the customer is and who you're targeting and, and how they wear the sock, what they wear it with and, and how you can take that ideal customer and go and find more of them. and and that was really the key is when we first understood the product market fit and where we fit into the marketplace. And, and we're definitely a niche product and we've got a defined niche that we operate in. But I think that was the key is, is figuring out what that niche was and who our customer was and then right. pursuing that on a larger scale and, and adding advertising and fuel to the fire. But, you know, you can't do any of those things until you figure out the fundamentals and, and really understand the customer and, and how you can serve that customer and how only you can really uniquely serve that customer compared to all the other 
competitors and, and options that are out there. How did you learn that? Yeah, how, how did you go about that exercise, right? I think a lot of people, when they start a business, they make there's a lot of assumptions, right? And that's okay, right? Sometimes that's all you got, right? Is assumptions and maybe a little bit of market research. Um, but like, what was that process like? You know, do you remember what it was like when you were doing the... It was it, you know, like how did you go about like really honing in on like this is who our buyer is? Yeah, I, I think it, it's the way it started out was was kind of almost like a shotgun approach, right? We 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 had a sock, we had this product, we knew people liked it, and we just tried everything we could to get it out into the world, and and eventually you you start to get a little bit of success, and and then you see, okay, well this person has ordered from us a couple of times, and then. You know, can we call this person and talk to them? Can we email them? Can we find out who they are or uh, more about what it is that they like about the socks? And that's that's almost the benefit, really. And I think that's where small businesses have, in a way, kind of an unfair advantage is you're so connected and so close to the customer because, I mean, for us, like you call the 1-800 number and you're going to get somebody in our family who's going to answer the phone most likely because we're a small business. And I think right. that's part of what makes us so great compared to other larger companies that have so many different layers. And, you know, once you go talk to somebody in the marketing department, well, how far removed are they from the end user? And when's the last time that that person in the marketing department has actually sat down and, and talked on the phone or face to face with the customer? And so I think, that's what really helped us is is the fact that we are so small and so directly connected to customers and you know we would take orders over the phone and and call customers and email customers and and find out more about you know who they are and and what they like about the socks what they don't like about the socks and what when they're shopping for for products like ours what is most important to them and then can we take those findings and then hone our marketing messaging to better reflect that so that we're speaking their language and, and we're talking with them about what they're interested in and what they're looking for. Um, and so I think that was the key was really, um, and again, it's not, you know, there's, there's no hack or, or sexy shortcut there, but it's just talking with the customer and finding out where we really exceed and and what we're good at. And then, pursuing that yeah and i think even just like some of the things it's like again we talked about this you know multiple times but you know talking to the customer i think it's, it's one of those things where you know sometimes it can be scary or nerve-wracking or but you know like look if you really are invested and you care like it's it's the, it's the only way you know to to talk to customers to understand what they're trying to you know kind of go through and accomplish and it sounds like you guys did a really good job of that you know very early and and as you kind of started to you know the business continues to grow, you know you and I are talking about kind of you know leading the company in this next kind of phase, and you know the concept of like staying focused, you know not going you know an inch wide, what is it, inch wide mile long or so I I don't remember what the saying is, but you, right, everyone right, knows right. what the saying where you're doing like fifty different things like at ten percent versus you know three things at a hundred, and you know how you know how do you think about as your business is growing and and scaling, like, how do you think about staying focused? And how do you think about bringing that? Because I, I have to imagine in a business like yours, there's some very logical other things that you could start to offer, right? If you think about like, what was, who am I thinking of? Like bonobos, right? Bonobos, at first they were just pants, right? It wasn't like just 
yeah and then they you know you can kind of I think so yeah branch out to other things so so how have you you know as you think about kind of where the economy is and other things you know like how do you kind of keep the business focused and 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 run it uh effectively yeah and and that's a, a great question and that that's something that we've been spending and and myself personally been spending a tremendous amount of time thinking about and and focusing on is where do we go from here and and how do we set the priorities and focus on the priorities because you know it's so easy i i mentioned earlier the the shiny penny syndrome and you know i i think again inherently entrepreneurs and business owners tend to have a little bit of add to them and and always be pursuing the next thing and you may have friends that say um oh you know you got to check out tiktok or you may have somebody else that says you need to be doing instagram reels or you may have on the B2B side, the, the big thing used to be cold calling is dead. And then you would have so many different people just say so many different things. And what works for one person may not work for you and vice versa. And um, I, I think it's you have to figure out what you're good at and what your business is good at. And then really double down and triple down on that and just relentlessly focus on that and do the best you can to ignore the noise and just put your blinders on and focus on what you're good at. And then once you've mastered that, put a system or a process in place to manage it. And that's kind of where we're at right now is, okay, these things that we've done, that we've been good at, let's put a system and a process in place to manage it. Let's bring on other people to help us maintain that and continue that. Then we'll add new pieces and then we'll focus on new things. And I I think that's the challenge, but that's also the secret is just discipline. You've got to be disciplined to ignore the noise and people may shower you with other things that, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, but really focus on what works for you, what works for your business and and double down on that and ignore the noise. You just have to be disciplined. How do you stay that? Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, as a CEO of a services company too, which is almost even worse because then it's worse service. I can literally just like make up something and sell it the next day. You know, like I feel like it's even, <laughs> it's, even it's even worse. Um, how do you how do you do that? You know, again, like how do you keep the focus, or how do you? And maybe maybe it's actually a two part question. How do you think about continuing to find passion and joy? And you know, because a lot of times, like you said, entrepreneurs. You know, I'm I'm kind of a mix. I'm like a more of like the classic like visionary into like a not integrator who over the course of you know nine years running a company has become more operation savvy. How do you stay focused? But but also you know, kind of like feed that side for what, and I guess it could be around like innovating processes or something, but how have you done that? You know, how have you been able to stay focused and yet still, you know, continue to stay kind of motivated and, you know, excited around, you know, different things? That can be tough and and tricky. Um, I I think to answer the latter part there about, you know, staying motivated and and excited and engaged, I, I think what's really helped me is finding the things that I do like doing, uh, even if even if it's not something that I should necessarily be doing, um, like for example, writing some of the blog posts and articles and content on our website. For whatever reason, I've just always enjoyed doing that. So, right. you know, I make sure that I have a little bit of time to do those sorts of things, and then other things that 
you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of try to find a way to delegate that out and put a process in place to manage that. So I, I think that helps. Another thing that has, has helped, uh, and I guess it's, it's a little different, um, having a physical product, um, versus selling a service like yours. I, I think having a physical product and, and trying to stay as in touch with that as possible. Um, I love going to the mill and just walking around the mill and seeing, I think for, for us, one of the most rewarding things and the reason why we have really worked so hard in this business is just a focus and a dedication on supporting local jobs and local manufacturing in the face of all of the headwinds and the offshoring um, that has just decimated the the local textile industry. And I, I think that's always been one of our major motivating factors. And I, I think whenever you need, you know, a little bit of a spark and and to to reignite that that passion and motivation in the business, um, just going to the mill and walking around and seeing the the jobs that we're helping to support. I mean, we're we're small business, but we we still add up. And I, I think walking through the plant and seeing those things and seeing the jobs that we're helping to support, um, that's that's a big part of what keeps us going and keeps us motivated to to dig in and 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 keep working hard. I think to stay disciplined and, and approaching discipline, I, I think that's it's tough. And I, you know, in some ways I think I'm still still trying to figure that out. Um but you know what's really helped me is even just down to a very tactical level. I like um, every day before I go to the office, I, I like to to make a list of, and I have a I've got a Mac computer and I've got an iPhone, so it's all synced up. I've got a to do list, and whenever I'm thinking and something randomly pops in my head, I'll I'll add everything on there, and then next thing you know, I've got a to do list that's a mile long and. I just have to correct myself and say, no, you you know, you, you're not going to get all of those things done. So what I've tried to do, and, and this has really helped me a lot, is is I make a must accomplish list and I try and make it as short as possible. And I make that every day or, or usually the night before I go into the office the next day and I put half a dozen things or however many things it is that I just absolutely must accomplish. And I try and put some of the easy ones first, just so I, you know, as soon as I get in the office, I knock those out and I, I feel good and start to get into momentum. But I think that's really helped me, uh, again, just from a super tactical level of just making a to-do list and and not making a giant never-ending to-do list, but also making something every day. And I, I, again, discipline and habit after doing it for a while, I'm just in the habit of it now, but every day before I go to the office or the night before making that must accomplish list. And that just helps me kind of keep focused on, okay, this is what you've got to do tomorrow. And, um, I think that's helped. And then just building a cadence around, you know, whether you're a business owner or you work in a, a corporate gig or whatever it may be, I think you, you've got to have some kind of cadence or routine. And for us, what's really helped is we have every Friday, we have a sort of a leadership meeting where we have a set agenda. That's always the same agenda. And the only really things that are on that agenda are the things that are, most important for us, uh, what are the inventory levels, what's going on in production, and and just forcing ourselves to only work on those items um, at that specific time. And so I, I think whatever the process is for you, and you know it's different for everybody, but you 
you've got to find a way to give yourself that structure and cadence to keep you disciplined. Because if you can achieve that discipline and, and that focus, I think that's really what's going to help you be successful versus chasing after all kinds of different things, which is very easy to do. Well, and I think it's easy, especially in today's day and age, there's so many small things to do. And, you know, we create these systems. I've talked about this before, where, you know, we want that we, we, we can find a little mini dopamine rushes by just like, you know, banging out emails and doing those things. And what you realize is then that, that that's, that's why so many people, you know, at the end of the day, they're like, God has worked X hours, and I feel like I didn't get anything done. You know, and it's because you're consistently punting the either the the things that are hard. Maybe it's the things if you kind of find yourself. These are the things that don't give you energy. That you know, like you talked about, you got to find somebody who you know. Any job in the world that you could think is like the worst, most boring job. Uh, there's probably a person. I mean, there's probably some jobs where this isn't the case, but that that they get, they get some fired <laughs> up to do it. You know, they're like, yeah, I love this. It's great. I want to do it. I want to just sit in front of an Excel all day and like, dude, I'm like, great. That, that, yeah, no, thank you. But so I think, you know, what you talked about prioritizing, I use a two, I, I, I put a two star and then there, there can be a few one stars. And so every day there can only be one two star thing. And so, and then, and then if that gets done, then I go to the thing that's next, which is like, I'll usually do at any given time I to do this, I'll have a two star and then two one stars. And it's, you know, if I get done with a two star thing, then I go to the next thing. But you can't have one of my favorite sayings. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Is like the word priorities was was invented in the 1920s. Prior to 100 years ago, you could only have one priority. One. Their priorities was never meant to be a plural, you know, a plural word. And I think in today's day and age, we forget that um, because we're trying to do so much, and it is the right thing or not. You know, you can many times just get stuck checking a bunch of mini little boxes. And I'm sure a lot of you are nodding your head right now. Yes, checking a lot of little mini boxes versus, you know, getting the big stuff done. Um, so I think it's just such a great call out. And, and Nathan, as we, we start to wrap up, man, I'll kind of ask you the question I asked everyone. What's new and exciting for you? Like what are trends or things that you're seeing in either your business or your day-to-day that get you excited? that you know you're like hey jake like these are some things i'm seeing etc so what's like up next or or gets you kind of excited for the future yeah that's that's a that's a good question i i think you know one thing that that has been really challenging for for us working in manufacturing are all the supply chain headaches and headwinds that you read about in the news and and whatnot and that's been really challenging i mean even though we work here locally and and manufacture all of our goods in North Carolina, supply chains are very global. Some of our yarn comes from Europe. Um, Our wool originates in a big sheep farm down in Australia. Um, So everything is global. But I I think one thing that that kind of the the silver lining of of the past couple of years and, and something that's really excited me is we're, as I mentioned with our business, we're very about local manufacturing here in the U.S. And that's something we've been really passionate about. And the silver lining of the past couple of years and some of these supply chain headaches is I think people have really had their eyes open to the importance of domestic manufacturing and trying to reshore as much as possible wherever possible. And I, I think that's really exciting for us is seeing how busy some of the mills that we work with have gotten and the renewed interest in 
I wouldn't say reversal of of what we saw in the late 90s and the early 2000s, but a movement in a very positive direction um, of some investing in, in domestic manufacturing. And, you know, like we talked about, that's kind of what our family's done for a really long time. And it's just energizing to to see that. And it's extremely exciting. I think that's, you know, again, the silver lining of kind of the, the craziness of the past couple of years that um, that's come out of that. So that I, I would definitely point to that as something that has been really exciting for us. Love it, man. Well, and again, and I think, yeah, we definitely have seen that too. And, you know, we're a, a B2B consulting firm. And so I think we've seen some of those those tendencies as well, which like you said, is a, a really good thing to help a lot of people here, you know, home in, in, in our in our home, you know, as well too. So, well, that's great, man. Look, I think people are going to get a lot out of your story and your journey. You've done a lot of kind of interesting things and, you know, a lot of your kind of views around, you know, how to stay focused and purpose, but still have that kind of hustle, I think is uh, is pretty amazing. Something that our listeners will will get a lot out of. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Good. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jake. I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, sir. And we will see all of you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. Thank you, everyone, again for listening to another episode. If you are listening all the way to the end, I hope you have left a review. I hope that you make sure that you're following or subscribing on your favorite podcast listening apparatus. We'll be back next Thursday. And again, make sure to check out the Monday episodes as well, too. A lot of people are really enjoying these kind of mini episode Mondays. So make sure to tune in, subscribe, and leave a review. 